Hey. Eight point six percent inflation, baby. Or as many people are saying, January sixth, what? Oh, that was uh, going to be the, the the biggest story. January sixth, hearing prime time. There were dancing girls and intermission. Everybody got juju bees. It was amazing. It wasn't that uh, amazing. But when you wake up to find you've got eight point six percent inflation. The highest since 1981. Everything else goes out the window. Because you just realized there's one more thing you can't afford. The minute this information came out, boom, the Dow futures dropped like a stone at one moment. Uh, they were down over 300. I don't even remember where, you know, when the market started. What took place? Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. It's always so good to be with you. I found out about it because I got a text from Dr. Matt Will, economist at the University of Indianapolis. Dr. Matt Will, Dr. Matt Will on the Twitter box, mattwill.com. Talk to me, sir. 8.6%. This is higher than the expectation. What are the big drivers here, and what is this telling you? Well, well, Tony, it's the, it's the highest in 40 years, as you said. But it's a bigger issue than that because the food, food alone was 10%. And this will scare people. Luckily, you're not heating your homes right now. Fuel oil, what you use to heat your home, was up 106%, Tony. Fuel oil, thank goodness the weather's nice outside and you just have to air condition your home. But that is amazing to me. And, Tony, it's three things that's causing this. Fed policy. The Fed was late to the game. Janet Yellen even admitted they were late to the game. Um, even, you know, uh, Mr. Jerome Powell said he was late to the game. And then fiscal policy. I've seen Democrat left-leaning economists who said even Biden's fiscal policy is contributing at least 3 to 4% to this inflation number, sending us all that money, all that stimulus checks. And then, of course, Putin's involved here, but this is a small part. The president would like you to think everything here is Putin-related, but it's not. That's just a small part of the overall problem here, Tony. But there's so a lot of issues that. in this number that are bad. Let's get to that spending that took place, the $1.9 trillion, for example, uh, that, that, that got spent. You see a lot of people on, on the political left. Uh, they are always uh, talking about the importance of the American Rescue Plan. Look at how Republicans are spending money from the American uh, Rescue Plan. Uh, well, the money got spent. The $1.9 trillion stimulus got spent in March of 2021, or it got passed. The money's being put out there. Don't be surprised if people are using the money that they're given. But we utilize this $1.9 trillion as a way of saying we need to get the economy back on track. And for me, there's a tremendous amount of Keynesian economics involved in here. The idea that government can prime the pump and that's going to increase spending and that's going to make everything uh, better, uh, named after John Maynard Keynes, uh, the economist. Has that economic theory ever worked and how does that connect to something you hear about these days called modern monetary policy or modern monetary theory? You know, Tony, it, the policy has never worked, okay? The problem we have is GDP is calculated using Keynesian math, and, and we all talk about it. You talk about it. I talk about it. So that's the only reason this thing even exists is because we use it to calculate GDP. It's just a mathematical formula that, that Keynes developed, and we've modified it over the years. But it's never worked to do anything other than create inflation, and we see it right now. And modern monetary policy is very clear 
that it's, it's something you and I talk about every single time we're on the air. It's just stuff and cash. And it's very simple. There's nothing fancy about it. And, you know, the, the, the problem is not just at the federal level. It's also at the, the state level because, you know, you heard about the governor's $1 billion giveaway that he announced yesterday. Well, that's not helping matters at all. So we're talking about there in, in the state of Indiana, the governor, Republican Eric Holcomb, under pressure, it would seem, to need to do something to help uh, the people of Indiana, Hoosiers, with inflation, took a billion dollars of a $6 billion surplus and is giving it back to Hoosiers. It's going to come to about $225 per Hoosier taxpayer, per Indiana taxpayer. Now, my argument is I never mind when the people uh, get uh, their money back. The question I asked is, is this something that should be happening? Are you arguing that giving people back their money is going to increase the inflation problem? No, or what I'm saying, Tony, is it's a good idea to give money back, but he's giving it back the wrong way, and it won't change the inflation situation. The, the state government can't control inflation. So what the governor is doing is he's just trying to placate people and make them think he's doing something. If he really wants to do something, Tony, he should eliminate the, the gas tax because that is the thing that will fuel, inf fuel eco economic growth. That will grow the economy. That's a long-term permanent solution because we talked about it, Tony. It's stuff and cash. Why doesn't he help grow the stuff, decrease the tax rate on gasoline, pay less at the pump, cause the economy to grow? It's a long-term benefit, but he doesn't want to give up control of your money. So he wants to give you a little tidbit now, just a little bit of taste of money, but it's not permanent, and it's not going to help the economy. I, I would argue that we're getting into the conversation of what makes us think government should be in any way trying to control these things. If we have inflationary pressures, our job is to change the policies to create better pressures, which is a political conversation, not an economic one. And I don't believe that state government should be getting involved really uh, in, in any of this. I see more problem than I see solution. Talking to Dr. Matt Will, economist at the University of Indianapolis, Dr. Matt Will on Twitter, but I always favor people getting getting their dollars uh, back. The money belongs to them. It doesn't belong uh, to the state. But this number, this massive number of 8.6%, as a conversation historically, you know, you talk about this being the highest in 40 years. You got to go back to 1981. To the extent that you can, set the stage of what led to 1981 because people often talk about parallels and the Biden administration is very, very concerned about parallels being made between the Biden administration and the Carter administration, if only because Carter was a one-term Democratic president. So how do you, what are the correlations? What are the connective tissues there? And exactly what does this 8.6% number mean historically? Well, the, the correlations are very high. I mean, Tony, I'm one of those people that says every recession is different than the previous one, and we try to prevent the next recession by passing laws that actually would have presented, prevented the previous one. But here is a good correlation, because we had a, a, a loose fiscal policy at the time. We had a monetary policy that was very, you know, they didn't call it quantitative easing, but they had very low interest rates. Uh, the, the economy was starting to shrink. The only difference is they had high unemployment at that time. That was the only difference is they had high unemployment, and we don't have high unemployment. And there's a, there's a lot of reasons why that is, primarily related to the post-pandemic economic world that we live in. But the parallels are very close. Inflation, government spending, monetary policy, regulation, fuel prices. Tony, you know, back then, remember, you know, it, was, uh, it was Jimmy Carter who was trying to get us to go green before anybody. 
He was the one that wanted to cut back oil production. He was the one that was, you know, fighting with OPEC. So, Tony, it's, there's a lot of parallels other than the employment picture. So now here we are. We take a look at, at the situation. We have got ourselves uh, this, this high inflation. We see uh, that when it comes to, for example, refinance numbers, 75% lower than this time a year ago. We're seeing less mortgage applications now uh, than, than a, a year ago with mortgage rates that had hit 5.5%. Uh, the question now comes to what does the Fed do? You have made the argument on this very show that the Fed has one of two options, raise interest rates or lower interest rates because they can't do anything about the spending. There has been talk about the idea that the Fed wants to make you think that, you know, things are really okay. Maybe they'll just keep interest rates where they are for a little while and try and kind of create the idea that we're turning this all around. Is the Fed going to keep the, the, uh, the rate? where it's at, or are they going to do what they said they were going to do, and we're going to see half-point increases in the next five increases or more going forward? You know, Tony, I hope they do what they claim they're going to do, because when you go back a year from now, you know, they said it was transitory. The administration said it was transitory. Everybody in Wall Street didn't agree with them. So the Fed did not reverse their quantitative easing. Tony, we had, in, we had home prices going up 20% last year. Yet the Fed kept pumping cash into the market by purchasing mortgages. That was insane that they did that. And the Federal and the, the Biden administration spent those trillions of dollars. Now, what have we heard in the last week, Tony? We've heard the, the Fed and we've heard the administration say, oh, we're over the hump. Inflation is going to continue, but it's not going to be as bad. Tony, it's worse than ever today. It's worse than ever. These people have to stop talking to their marketing and PR people and start acting like economists. Part of our problem, before I let you go, I know you're, you're up against it, talking to Dr. Matt Will, economist at the University of Indianapolis. I may have already said before I let you go, but I got another question. Um, okay. Your, your, your conversation is always about goods, right? You, you, too much cash and not enough stuff. We still don't have enough stuff. We have a, a people talking about supply chain issues, but we have no supply chain issues solved is there anything that uh, economists are discussing about when they see supply chain getting uh, better and do they have any fears about supply chain issues remaining exactly as they are right now of course it, it, whether you're a liberal or a conservative economist they all say that the supply chain problems will continue because the things that could solve it are not happening. The administration has announced more environmental regulations. You can't go into the port of Los Angeles with a diesel truck. You're going to have to start going in with an electric truck, which doesn't exist. An electric semi. There's laws about how many um, you know, uh, carbon-emitting vehicles can go into these ports to pick up containers and the warehouses that they have to go to. This administration is increasing the regulatory burden that would alleviate the supply chain. So instead, their regulatory burden is making the supply chain worse. You and I were talking about this. I thought it would be better by mid uh, this year, late this year. I don't see the supply chain loosening up, Tony, at any time in the near future. Dr. Matt Will, economist, University of Indianapolis. I appreciate you taking the time. We've got more. I'm Tony Katz. Seven forty-nine sixty. That's how much the Dow is down. 
after getting that inflation report. And then, of course, consumer sentiment, which is the big one, right? Consumer sentiment. Nobody's got faith. You know, I I feel horrifically guilty in sharing these conversations and, and, and talking about it in this way. Like, you know, this administration only had an interest in being connected to where the people are. Maybe we'd have better policy and we could get out of this situation faster. It's never lost on me. Never, ever lost on me the effect it is having on everyone. And I only can make the assumption, based on knowing my own situation, there are people out there feeling this inflation far worse than me. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. I, I talk about the fact that I you know, I work from home, right? Don't have to drive all, all the time. What happens if you're on the road every single day? Five twenty-five a gallon in Indiana. You are at four ninety-nine a gallon on average nationwide. That's real dollars. And I was talking to some hospitality people uh, yesterday. They're getting ready. I mean, I, the the way I took the conversation. They're already kind of seeing it, but they don't want to yet admit it because they think the worst is still ahead of them. As we've discussed, as you've discussed at your kitchen table, you don't go out to eat if you can't afford to drive there. You make these determinations that it's not worth it. Spend the money to go there? Forget it. Did I tell you I'm driving down to Atlanta? Driving down to my Atlanta, my, my, my parents are going to be up. Uh, they they'd moved to Florida, but they happen to be up in, in Atlanta. I'm like, all right, halfway, boom, I'll see you there. Right? And so going and, and, and driving. Um, I can't cancel. <laughs> my dad is 84. My mother is 75. I can't cancel. But dear Lord. You could ride a bicycle down there to save money. I, I could ride a bicycle and, and save money there, Producer Ari. Um, but then uh, I, I wouldn't make it because I'd be dead. But you'd look great doing it. Oh, and by the end, by the end, but that's that's not fun. Yes, yeah, so I, I got to go and I got I got to do this. So it's going to be it's going to be a thing. It, the only thing that's got me confident is that the one thing we haven't heard about when we talk about gas prices is there doesn't seem to be a lack of. That's a different thing. When people talk about, you know, as we were talking about with Dr. Matt Will there, the Carter years, if you have to start rationing gas, you know how they did it. They would um, do it based on your license plate. Odd numbers on, that, you know, license plates that ended with an odd number on one day, even numbers on another. That's the way they did it. Uh, Jersey, I think that's the way they did it growing up. I heard those stories. I don't, I don't know how they would do it in, in, in other states, depending on how they do their license plates or their tags, whatever people call the things. That is that is a great difference between then and now. Doesn't make you feel much better. But the, I, I share with you the, the market because I just, you know, an idea of how people are responding. Like, I'm, like, I'm trying to do it in, in real time. You know, it's been as far down as 785 as I've seen it. But we don't live in that in that Wall Street world. And I'm always bothered that 
you know, in, in, the, in the same breath where I'm like, I, I don't want to be, you know, uh, kind of talking over this or, or glossing over this. This is, this is serious. Our conversations about Midwest Main Street versus Wall Street. Wall Street seems to have an ability to shrug things off. Midwest Main Street, it's affecting how we do business. And these retail guys, these hospitality guys, they're knowing it. They're already gearing up. You may have some regulars who this is their their um, leisure activity and they don't care what's going on because they're not spending their money in other places. But there are plenty of people who are going to a bar, a restaurant, cigar lounge. You know, that's my thing. Um, and, and that is their, their leisure time luxury activity. And if they have to cut back on something, they cut back on that. And if you say to me, yeah, well, whatever, whatever. How many people are employed by the cigar lounges just around you? And then the bars, and then restaurants, and then other hospitality, and then other retail, small retail. Kohl's may be fine, because after all, they'll still be offering the Kohl's cash, which means you literally spent no money at all. But what about the smaller retail places? What about that small jewelry store? What about that, uh, uh, that, that small clothing store? What, what about, what about, what about? All of those things. I don't need a new outfit right now. I don't need to get that right now. I don't need that leisure activity right now. Ooh, I'm gonna get myself. I'm gonna be on the back deck. The back deck. That's that's what I'm gonna do. And if you find a good deal online, you'll 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 have that uh, ordered because you know you right, you gotta get something. No, all this is bad times, man. And that was my conversation. You know, my, my, my when, when I was talking to Doctor Will. Is is the, you know, the disconnect between Midwest Main Street and Wall Street is very, very real. The disconnect between D.C., the beltway there, and the rest of America is unbelievable. I'm here to tell you that they have absolutely no clue how you feel. And I would put forth to you, I don't think they care. I think part of what we saw in that January 6th hearing last night, you know, I watched it all. I did it for you. Don't ever think I don't love you. I will snuggle you right up right now. I will swaddle you in my arms, so help me. I spoke with Congressman Jim Banks. He was supposed to be on that committee until Nancy Pelosi said, you're not good enough. What did he take away from January 6th hearings last night? Keep it here. I'm Tony Katz. Well, I think the people who said no one's interested in this January 6th committee, they got the numbers on their side. As Joe Concha over there from the Hill uh, breaks it down, you take a look at evening newscasts on CBS, NBC, and ABC, and they average anywhere from 18 to 20 million viewers combined on a typical night. Those are newscasts that do not air in prime time. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today, so good to be with you guys. The January 6th hearings, which were last night, prime time. You know I stayed up for this stuff, right? You know, I did. I was up, cigar in hand. I watched. I do it for you. Uh, they uh, took in 11 million viewers on those same three networks. In prime time. 
they were give or take 8 million less viewers in a time slot that gets more viewership. Now, you could argue it this way. Well, Tony, that's way more viewers than they normally get for a hearing, isn't it? You could absolutely, absolutely make that argument. You could also make the argument that people watched because, well, it was on. It, 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 it was on, so we just left it on. Now, I have a take on what I saw. I, w- I want to share that o- with you. But I just caught this. It's uh, President Obama uh, talking in Copenhagen about the filibuster. We need to revitalize our political institutions so that people believe the participation is actually worth the effort. In too many democracies, politics feels like a distant and increasingly irrelevant enterprise. Some of that is by design, by the way. In my own country, for example, we have a, what's called a, a filibuster rule in the United States Senate that has effectively made it almost impossible for either party, even when they have a majority, to get anything substantially through the Senate and passed and signed into law. At a certain point, people start wondering, why bother? Man, this was a guy who taught the Constitution, so they say. It never dawned on him that the less movement, the better. The slower, the better. Frustrating, maybe. But when you've got something, you've got something that America can work with, deal with, accept, rationalize. It prevents the radicalness, like, for example, the radicalness of Barack Obama. He just... you, you will never, ever convince me that his view of, of, of American society is a valuable one. He just, he just doesn't have it. He just doesn't have it at all. Now, I watched, I paid attention, my take on on these hearings is is as follows there is no insurrection here there's no incitement to insurrection here there was a riot here people got hurt here there should be prosecutions someone should be taking a look at who killed ashley babbitt mike pence comes out of this looking stronger And Donald Trump comes out of this looking not necessarily weaker, but doesn't come out of this looking like everybody's still looking at him. Let me break this down just a a bit. Uh, There is no doubt that the way this was presented, you would think that this was just the conclusive proof of how guilty Donald Trump is. None of that is true. This is a witch hunt from beginning to end, and it played as one. And Liz Cheney is as guilty of engaging the witch hunt as anybody else out there. She should be ashamed of who she is. Not because she has an issue with how Trump acted and things that Trump did. That's fine. Because rational people can have an issue with things Trump did. Like people can have a rational issue with the things Pete Buttigieg has done. You 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 can have that. To be a part of this committee... 
to be used in this way, to gleefully, joyfully want to be used in this way. A propaganda moment. Remember, once you're done with this committee, they're going to go after you, Liz Cheney, like it's their job. Let me share this from a guy by the name of Don Winslow. You may have never heard of Don Winslow. A day in your life. Don Winslow is an author, has over 800,000 followers on Twitter. He is a leftist. Don Winslow tweets out, guess who voted against the Voting Rights Act? Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger. Guess who took money from the NRA for many years and had an N and A ratings from the NRA? Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger. And holy blank, have you take one minute to see their votes on women's rights and abortion rights. Nate Silver over at the 538 blog uh, writes, these people really don't understand that if you're trying to build a broad bipartisan consensus on a certain issue, for example, like January 6th was bad, it is necessarily uh, requires you uh, building coalitions with people who disagree with you on other issues like abortion. But they're not interested in building coalitions. They're interested in utilizing useful idiots and then destroying them. Do you really think that these people like Mitt Romney? How many despicable words did they have for Mitt Romney, who is one of the most congenial people you're ever going to meet? Lied about him paying his taxes. Harry Reid, that despicable, no good guy. Uh, uh, The dog on the car, binders full of women. And now all of a sudden, he's a stand-up guy? Stop it. And they don't think that about Liz Cheney or Adam Kinzinger either. I don't think that Liz Cheney is a stand-up woman. She's failed herself miserably. And it has nothing to do with whether or not she agrees or disagrees with Trump or thinks Trump is guilty of many things. She can think that. She can think that and be a Republican. To be a part of this committee, I only hope they vote her out of office. You did not prove insurrection or incitement of insurrection. The videos last night, which were unbelievably edited, despicably edited, uh, and, and commentary about things that were said to President Trump, hey, you lost, Bill Barr saying, hey, you lost, his own daughter, etc. That will signal to the political right and independents and moderates that you're fine with Ron DeSantis. You know what? Maybe Trump... For all his fighting and the necessary fighting and the value of teaching fighting, he's not worth the trouble. And if there was any question about that, even though people had long been thinking it, that's now gone. And you will see that develop over the next weeks and months. You've already seen it in straw polls before this. This is just uh, just a push you over the edge moment. Okay, DeSantis uh, uh, Pompeo, uh, Abbott, or Greg Abbott, governor of Texas. I can easily vote. I can have an easier time uh, voting uh, for them. And and uh, Trump, it makes it easier for them to win. I just can't have this Biden guy and these radical progressives done. People no longer have to ask themselves, oh my gosh, am I going to have to vote for Trump? Let's move past it. And you tell me, does that mean Trump's not getting the nomination? Hell if I know. I have no idea if Trump's going to get the nomination. It's way too far away. What I'm telling you is this will signal to many, and not just Republicans, that there's a hassle here that isn't necessary. Go with DeSantis, it's easier. Practicality is one of the things this exposes. 
it exposes that Mike Pence, in the face of insanity, held strong to a conviction that he did not have the power to send these uh, uh, electors back to the states, which I also don't believe he did. I think he comes out of this looking strong. And it's going to be weird to see Democrats praising him and then also claiming, oh, by the way, he hates gay people. That's going to be, that's going to be very weird. So I think this is, this is very helpful uh, to Pence. It doesn't help him win a primary. doesn't help him win a general. Let's, let's not be silly. Look, what we said about Liz Cheney and what the left is already going to do, you know, the, the minute they're done using her, they'll, 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 they'll throw her out with the trash. The same thing would be true about Pence. Pence is just too smart to play that game. There was a, there was a piece in Politico, like Pence may show up in front of the January 6th committee. I give that a 1% chance, and if he does, he's out of his head. Out of his head. The things I would say about him here, too much. The one conversation that isn't going to be had is the conversation of security. Where was it? The breach of the Capitol and the lack of security at the Capitol are still two major subjects, and they're not talking about the lack of security. I want to know about it. I want to hear about it now. I'm Tony Katz.